Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're broadcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, and from London. Now, this is our third international show. Our international listeners continue to grow, so I want to thank all of the 150,000 listeners in 24 countries who have been listening to us. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, my name is Frank Sakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events. Now, our show today is sponsored by my guest, Gina Gardner, and her Enlightened Leadership Program. Now, this is a program that she designed to create lasting positive change by supporting both personal and spiritual development alongside with a comprehensive leadership development. Now, we're going to get into this in significantly more detail later in this show. We have a second sponsor this, show, this week, and it is the Tag Team. The Tag Team is a collaboration with the Abraham Group, which is headed by the marketing genius Jay Abraham, who has increased the bottom line of over 10,000 clients by $21 billion, and my company, Life-Altering Events. We are focusing on helping the next generation of entrepreneurs to become successful in this very uncertain world. Now, this is an elite and exclusive program for entrepreneurs who are looking to make a difference. If you think you can make that difference, go to my website, frankzakari.com, and download the Tag Team application. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is our 53rd episode. And during this year, I have met with and talked to so many people that have experienced a life-altering event. They were told their lives and their activities would be limited, and the life that they once knew was over. After dealing with the shock and the grief, and then enduring many times long and very difficult rehabilitation process, they decided that the circumstances were simply not going to define or dictate their life. When they were told you can't, they responded by saying, watch me. One thing that cannot be tested or measured is the power and the will of the human spirit. Now, as we say every week, life-altering events present us with an opportunity to seize the moment and make a difference. When they happen, we have a choice. We can choose to give up, or we can choose to find the courage and pick up the pieces and start moving forward, and better times and better people will come into our life. As you listen to this show, if you have a life-altering event that you believe would inspire others, please let me know. Go to the life-altering event page at voiceamerica.com and send me an email and tell me about this event that so dramatically changed your life, what happened, where you are now, and how your life is moving forward. We will review it for content, and if it fits, we will contact you about using it in a future episode. So ladies and gentlemen, if you have a story, let me share it with the world. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to talk about people who never say never. Now, let me, let me give you a story here. Just imagine, imagine that your goal was to become an educator. You excelled in school, 
You began your career, you're doing well. Your passion and your dedication, both in the classroom and the meticulous preparation, were unmatched in your area. Students not only loved you, but they learned something even more important. They learned how to think, how to look at a situation, how to listen, and how to apply critical thinking skills. Now, I'm told that that is every teacher's dream. Now, as you're moving forward, the administration takes notice, and at the age of 29, you become the youngest deputy head teacher or deputy principal here in the United States in one of the largest school districts in all of England. Now, this is pretty heady stuff, 29 years old. Life can only get better from here, right? Everything's going well. Well, that was the life of my next guest, Gina Gardner. Five months after achieving this tremendous success, disaster struck. Let me bring Gina in. She can tell us about how she picked up the pieces and spent the rest of her life helping others. So, Gina, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really pleased to be here. It's our pleasure, Gina. Now, Gina, you are a multiple number one bestseller. You are a motivational speaker. You're an empowerment coach. You're the founder of Thrive Together Tribe and the creator of the Enlightened Leadership Program, which is sponsoring this episode. But with all that success, this journey has not been easy. So tell the listeners what happened after you became the youngest deputy head teacher in the whole country. Um, I was promoted to be the catalyst for change. I was the youngest bar two on the staff, and actually I was 28 when I became the deputy principal. Um, and for the first few months, I worked with the principal to really strategically plan how we were going to get teachers who'd been at the same school since they started teaching, who were well into their 50s, most of them, how we were going to get them to, to move into uh, a, a new educational age. And we got to the, the um, we have a, a week's holiday in February, February half term, um, and I was off skiing. And that was a, another passion in my life. I loved to ski and I was a pretty good skier. And in those days, it was the fashion to have skis long, as long as possible. So at Christmas, I had a new pair of skis and I um, was convinced by the shopkeeper that I should have uh, these very long skis. And off we went to St. Anton um, in Austria. And for the first few days, I managed to keep wrapping that extra bit of length of my skis around themselves and had several falls. And on the Thursday, I had a particularly bad fall. And so I said to my friends, um, Friday was the last day, I'm going to go off and just get my confidence back. Um, I'll meet you for lunch. I uh, did, and it was a beautiful day, one of those very special days in the mountains where the sun is gleaming and the mountains look magnificent. Um, and they said we'd found a wonderful new run and I should join them. And so off we went, up on the, the chairlift, uh, and I followed them. And we hadn't gone very far, and they turned a corner when it was pretty evident that this isn't what they expected. And instead of it being a long um, red run, which was supposed to go for four or five or six kilometers, we were at the top of what I found out later was the Schindlergratz, 
which was the most difficult black run in St. Anton. Now, for people who are familiar with skiing, this was a very steep mogul field. And a mogul is where the snow has been carved out by the weather. And they can be like little cobblestones, you know, um, one or two inches. But these were six-foot monsters. Wow. It was a very long, very steep um, run with these great lumps of ice and nowhere to turn except by turning on the top of the mogul and sliding down. No way back. And although I'd, I'd skied black runs before, nothing, I don't think any of us had seen anything quite like this. So I skied about the first third and then I left it too late to turn and I ended up falling. And it took me about 20 minutes to retrieve my ski and then to, to get down to where my friends were each sitting on a mogul, rather like a, an elf sitting on a mushroom. So I took my skis off and um, I sat on the mogul. And within a very few minutes, I think what had happened is that the sun had melted the top of the mogul and it gave way. And I started to rotate out, but there was nowhere to land. And the last thing I remember is hearing a scream. I came to some way down the mountain. I'm told that I've fallen between 150 and 200 feet. And it took a long time for the people that I was skiing with to reach me. Now, the one good thing about it is between the two falls and the skiing that I'd done, I was pretty well at, at the bottom of the slope. And I was determined not to have the blood wagon, so they helped me back to my hotel. And I have to say, I felt very strange and, and as if I'd been run over by a bulldozer. But we were traveling home the next day. It was a difficult journey. But I got home, and as I got home, my mum took one look at me, and she carted me off to accident and emergency. And I was told that I had um, got a concussion and that I tweaked a nerve in my neck. Fast forward five weeks, and um, I was due to be the, the deputy leader in the borough ski party with 150 school children, and we went to Morsham. Um, and I was told I could go because we had a medic coming with us. And as the week went on, I became more and more like Quasimodo. And on the very last evening, I had to say to my colleagues, I'm going to have to go and lie down. And I hadn't been lying on my bed for, for, for many minutes when I discovered that actually I was paralyzed down one side. Now there were children in the corridor. I didn't want to frighten them. So I had to sit and wait for somebody to come. And I have to tell you, it's the longest period of time. I have no idea how long it was, but I was just, well, I was terrified really. Mm -hmm. Somebody arrived and then all hell broke loose and I was carted off to the local hospital, then transferred to Geneva Hospital. Um, and uh, several days later, I was flown home straight to hospital. And it took me till the end of May to get back to school. And whilst I was mobile, I wasn't right. So I was doing school and then going home. Um, and that was it. And I was very pleased to get to the school summer holiday. And traditionally in the UK, our holiday starts around the 19th or 20th of July. And we have six weeks off. And I was so pleased to get there because I thought I've now got six weeks to get myself right. In the second week of the holiday, very, very early in the morning, I got a phone call. And on the other end of the call was my principal's wife, who was absolutely hysterical 
because she had just found John, the principal. He was dead. He had died overnight. He'd had a massive heart attack, we found out later. So far from having a, a quiet holiday, I had to let the staff, the pupils, the local authority know. I helped her manage the funeral. And I had to get ready for September. And the following January, I was acting principal for a term, and by January, I was appointed to be the permanent principal. So I was 29, um, pretty green, but absolutely determined that the school was going to do well, and it was going to be as good a learning opportunity, not only for the pupils, but for the staff too. Now, over the years, I my health fluctuated. Um, by 1987, I was using a wheelchair to get round school. I couldn't physically get, uh, I, at that time, I could walk enough to get into the classrooms or to the hall or to my office, but it was a very big site, um, and so I needed the electric wheelchair. And I have to say, I resisted it big time. Um, Gina, now, let, me, let me interrupt right here. The... Now, at this time, you take over as, as basically the principal, and schools yes. at that point were not designed to accommodate wheelchairs. No. So what adjustments did you have to make, given you're, you're changing the whole process here, and your ambulatory ability is, is limited? So what did you have to do? Um, the main bill, it was a strange site in that half the uh, classrooms were actually outside the main building. Um, so four of those, I could act, they put a ramp in so I could get to um, those classrooms. But there were six rooms that I just could not actually access because they had no, um, they had no access point for a wheelchair. Um, and on the main site, there were several uh, differences in levels. So um, we had to have ramps put in for those levels. And I couldn't physically open any of the fire doors. And um, because they were long corridors, um, they had fire doors. So if I was at school early or at school late, particularly if I was there, you know, there wasn't somebody around, um, I couldn't physically get in or out of the building or get through the fire doors. And so we had to um, put make those electric so that um, I could press a button and they then they would let me through. As it happens, um, we're talking about... Um, 1987 at that time there was no suggestion that schools should be wheelchair friendly mm -hmm. if you go forward some years then all schools were expected to be um, accessible and of course our school was ahead of the game by then but it was um, it was quite a challenge it was made even worse by in 1996 I sneezed um, and I felt something in my back go and on the last day of the summer term, um, I went to get up out of my um, my assembly chair, which was, uh, I could sit at standing height, um, and my legs just wouldn't hold. And I was rushed to hospital, and I was found to have a big ruptured disc. But when I came round after the operation, um, I couldn't put my left foot to the floor without fainting. And they said it was failed back surgery syndrome. It took me 18 months to walk to the bottom of my little garden. Um, and by in school, I could no longer get into any of my classrooms because even if I could get through the door, I couldn't get round the classrooms because there wasn't enough space for the wheelchair. Uh, three months after I managed to walk to the bottom of my little garden, again, it was the last day of the school summer 
turn. I went out with the staff to have a staff meal, came back and wasn't feeling very well, was sick and I ruptured another disc. Oh my goodness. Once, once again, I was completely wheelchair bound. And that continued um, all of the time that I was a principal. Um, and in 2004, when I left, and I'll tell you about that in a moment, but I had a spinal stimulator fitted. And very, very slowly, my mobility has improved. And although I still use a wheelchair to go into town or to go uh, uh, on vacation or, you know, if it's a long walk or I've got to stand for any length of time, I still use a wheelchair. But I don't use a wheelchair now in the house or the garden. And I can walk very short distances. Gina, we're going to take a break right here and then continue on with uh, with this story and the rest of the progress that she's made. Ladies and gentlemen, this is truly an amazing story. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Life Altering Events. My name is Frank Zakari, and my guest is Gina Gardner, all the way from London, England. Gina is also the sponsor of this segment with her Enlightened Leadership Program. Now, this is a program that she designed to create 
lasting positive change support by supporting both your personal and your spiritual development along with comprehensive leadership development methods. Now, we're going to get into more depth of this as we go on in this interview with Gina. Now, she was just telling us that at age 28, she had reached a pinnacle in her career, suffered a extremely severe uh, accident skiing, had become wheelchair-bound, became the principal of this massive organization in London, and some of the challenges that she had went through trying to put that together. Now, as I spoke to Gina, one of the things that she said to me that, that I absolutely loved was uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Go on with that, Gina. Expand on that. So I have 100 staff. I've got a, a big school. Remember, I was, I was appointed to be the catalyst for change. So many of the staff were, when I first took over, pretty much in the dark ages. And I wanted the school to succeed because I felt it was so important, not just for the pupils, but also for the staff, for it to be a real learning environment. And then I couldn't physically get into my classrooms. So for me, the biggest gift of my disability was that I had to be creative and I had to find a different way of empowering people to take radical responsibility for their own performance as teachers, as non-teaching staff, and ultimately the children. And in doing so, also take a shared responsibility for the whole team. It was incredibly successful. The school was on the 100 uh, best schools list, which is published every year by Her Majesty's Inspector. And I was, uh, my school was on the, that list twice during my tenure as, as principal. And we were one of the first Beacon schools, so we worked then with dozens of other schools and hundreds of other teachers, helping them to develop the same principles, strategies and approaches that, that we developed at my own schools. And I'm honest enough, Frank, to think, if I'd been able-bodied, would I have done it in the same way? I don't think I would. I think the, the chances are I would have been too controlling. I'd have wanted to, um, to oversee everything. But when you can't, you've got to find a way of helping people have the confidence, the skills, and the understanding that it's their role to be the leading professional, whether that's the teacher or a cleaner or whoever it is, that they take a pride and a passion in what they do. And that one of the things that we did is to make sure that there was a shared understanding of the language that we use. And I think, you know, lots of people talk about excellence. But in real terms, what does excellence mean when it comes to the behaviors that you'll see? And so I think one of the things that made a big difference to us is that we had, that I created with the staff, an absolute understanding of what does excellence look like in the in the context of each of the areas of school and you know where I was keen for my school was in quite an urban area quite aggressive area that we would have a zero tolerance of aggression now it didn't mean that sometimes children didn't bully and that certainly parents early on were uh, quite aggressive but in order to be able to say to parents and children, we have zero tolerance, every member of staff had to be squeaky clean. And so I set up a training program for all members of staff to make sure that they could manage difficult situations, that they take radical responsibility for their own language and behavior and 
and the way in which they presented themselves so that we could say, hand on heart, we don't tolerate it and you never see it from us. But in order for it to work, every single member of staff, whichever their role was, had to be be doing it and doing it in in the same way. Now, Gina, Um, these these are incredibly radical strategies and most people are highly resistant to change. Did you see that and then how did you address that? I have to say, um, yes, I think that's uh, very true. So let me give you an example. When I took over, the lady whose responsibility was the library, who was in her 50s, had uh, decided that she would code the library by the color of the spine of the books. So it looked very pretty. You went from cream to yellow to green and so on, but nobody could find anything. (laughs) And as a result, the library was a complete white elephant. And I thought to myself, how am I going to do this? I could go in and say I want it due assistant. But this was a lady, she was very little, um, and she was known as the Welsh dragon because she had a temper on her. Um, and uh, the, the fable went, I don't know if it's true, that sometimes she'd stamped her foot and put it through the four floorboards. And so I knew that if I was going to get her on side, I had to do something different. So I contacted the, the local libraries and said, which are the three best school libraries in the district? And I arranged with the, the uh, principals of those schools to take her. She didn't drive at that time. Um, and so I didn't say very much to her other than I'd like, you know, I've, I've done a bit of research. These are the best libraries. Um, would you like to go and see them? And we went to the first one. I sat with the head at uh, the principal and had a cup of tea and she went off to the library and I drove home and I had to sit on my tongue and say nothing. And she talked about the weather and her dog and and we went on the second visit. And again, I sat with the principal. She went into the library and again, I had to sit on my tongue. And then as we drove home after the third visit, she said to me, how would you feel if I do assist in the library? And I said, I'd be absolutely thrilled, and I'm happy to spend a bit of money on the library. She got an army of parents in to help her, and within six weeks, the army uh, the library was transformed. But more importantly, so was she. That's an amazing story. We hear so much here in the United States about collaborative uh, workplace and understanding and relating to your people and letting them come up with the ideas. And that's exactly what you did. That's incredibly impressive. What was even more impressive for me is that she uh, went on a past retirement age. And if anything was going to be piloted in the school, she was the person who put her hand up first and said, I'll give it a go. The temper disappeared. She was transformed, not only in school, but this is a lady into her mid-50s. She took driving lessons. Her, she just changed because she started to see herself as somebody who could. And for me, that was, you know, that was the, the how I modeled, you know, um, we don't focus on what we can't do, we focus on what we can do. Let's not look at, at, at you know, dumping problems, let's look at finding solutions. And it was incredibly successful. And I've used it in lots of schools and, and businesses and the principal's work. 
Um, I was invited to be an advisor with the government. Um, I was also um, a, train, a, a trainer facilitator at the National College of Leadership and uh, the London Institute while I was a serving head. We had a terrible budget and that money helped us buy in new technology and, and extra special needs. Um, and I could do that because I had a staff and a senior management team that were second to none. And so if I was going off to do these things, I knew that, w- that what was going on in school was going to be great. That's, that's such an excellent story, ladies and gentlemen. We've always been taught that culture, which Gina set, comes from the top down, but innovation and change comes from the bottom up. And that library story is just an, an outstanding example of that very principle. That, that is so impressive, Gina. Now, Gina, you spent 21 years, 21 years, you created one of the best programs, educational systems in all of the UK. Yet, in, 20, in 2004, you walked away from this. Why? I was given an ultimatum by my neurologist that if I continued to work a 14, 15, 16 hour day, and for me, work was great pain control, because when I was working, I didn't have to listen to what my body was saying. Um, and, but he gave me an ultimatum and said, you'll, in 12 to 18 months, you'll be housebound if you don't stop. And it was a very, very difficult decision. Um, but I made the decision that I was going to go. Um, and 2004, I had the spinal stimulator fitted uh, just as I was a, a, about to go. I thought that I would have plenty of time to come back and say my goodbyes. Uh, but I, I had a very bad uh, reaction to the operation. And in fact, by the time I came um, out of hospital, I was already retired. And I thought, what am I going to do now? I've got all of this experience, all of this expertise. I was a qualified coach, had been for, for some years. What am I going to do with myself? Because I had to tell you, daytime television doesn't do it for me. <laughs> and even after the back operations, I was back at school four days, five days later, because at home, if somebody hadn't left a cup out, I couldn't make a drink. But at school, I could operate and do things I loved and, and make a, a positive difference. And so I was very limited physically. So what I decided to do is to, to do a research project across industries and to look, you know, it didn't matter whether it was, was, so it was retail, manufacturing, insurance, finance, local government, health, a whole range of industries and looked at how they, um, how they developed leadership right from the outset to senior management. And of course, the issues facing them were exactly the same as they were in school. And so to start with, I worked mainly in corporates, um, doing training, facilitation and coaching. Still, I've always done life coaching. Um, and I, in, as 2008 went on, I started to do some visiting lecturing for Essex University Business School, and they would commission me to go out into smaller businesses. And then in January 2009, um, I had a full order book. I'd got three big contracts from corporates that were going to pretty well do me for the year. And within a week, they'd all gone. Um, And so I thought, well, I'd been commissioned to go and work with these companies. Um, This is um, SMEs, anything from five employees to 200 employees. And they would... um, invite me back because there was another problem to solve and so I contacted those businesses and said look you keep coming having me back but these are all avoidable how about I work with you on a continuous basis 
And I still do that today. Um, there's a number of things. One that I recognize that actually the same principles and strategies and techniques that I had used in school work in any business. The widgets don't matter because what you're talking about is people. But as this went on, I had this growing sense that there were so many people unhappy. I mean, in the UK alone, over half the prescriptions for antidepressants because of stress and anxiety. And most people cite their professional life at least as a big contributor to that, if not the major contributor. And I, I, I recognized that there were so many people who were stressed, who were finding either finding it difficult working under a, a boss who was being bullish and um, who was leading badly, or they were leaders who were struggling to lead their team and it felt like herding cats. And so I set up Genuinely You. And um, for the last just over two years, I've been working on uh, online programs for personal development, spiritual development, relationships. And that's been sort of bringing it together in terms of leadership, which for me, my mission now is to positively impact on a million people through enlightened leadership within the next five years. Wow. This is amazing. Now, Gina, you also, in between all of this, uh, have some best-selling books. And one yeah. of them is Managing Your Staff More Effectively and then Kickstart Your Career. Now, what was the background, backstory on these books? What led you they, to write these? They were the books that I wrote as a result of the research project. And they were my calling card, if you like, my credibility to get into corporates. And they were a distillation of the work that we had done and I developed for um, young um, teachers. And we had a license to train teachers uh, who had got a degree without reference to a university, which is very unusual. But we found that although they were great at their subject, that they actually weren't very professional. And so Kickstart Your Career is about how to be the professional grown-up, and it's to help people transition from school into work. And Manage Your Staff More Effectively was a distillation of the, um, of the techniques that I used in school and the principles. Um, and, you know, I use those, and they're part of the leadership uh, program now. But initially, they were written, as I say, because of those days, although um, we had our own financial uh, control in schools and my budget was a million and a half, um, businesses didn't see us as businesses. And so that was to give me credibility. That's absolutely right. It's, it's, it's so amazing how uh, in industries, because I, I do some of the same stuff, and they say, well, my industry is different. What you do doesn't apply here. And that's not correct. No. No, I mean, people are people wherever you go. And if you've got to lead a team or you're leading a whole organization, the same principles apply. And, of course, they know their widgets. You know, I don't propose to know all the widgets, although those companies that I work with for any length of time, I get, I get to know the widgets, at least the language around the widgets. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. When you're talking about people, there are certain principles that apply whatever. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take another break here, and then we're going to get into some incredibly intense conversation with Gina. Do not go away. Next segment's the best yet.
Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are listening to Gina Gardner from London, and she has just given us a tremendous story of leadership and success and training under the most adverse circumstances that you can possibly imagine with the severe disability that she had. Now, Gina is also the sponsor of this episode, and she served her program, the Enlightened Leadership Program, which she designed to create positive change by supporting both personal and spiritual development. Now, that's a very different approach. And she takes those along with a comprehensive leadership development. So, Gina, we were just speaking about you left the education sector after 21 years and great, great success. And then I believe you told me in 2006, after about two years after becoming a best-selling author, you attended an event that changed your world. Tell us about that. After I left Headship, one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to study uh, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. And I went and and did that with an organization that that I have to say were excellent. But I did my practitioner, my master practitioner, and my NLP coaching um, qualification with the same organization. And so I made a decision that I wanted to see as many people using it as I could 
And so I went off to do all sorts of courses and I ended up going to see Tony Robbins. Now, I have to say, prior to going, I was pretty cynical. You know, this great big American guy, a lot of hype, lots of noise. And I, my, my view was I'll go and, you know, none of it will, will be lasting. It'll, it'll just be a lot of, of, of hullabaloo. How wrong could I be? So I arrive at the Excel Centre, which is uh, a big conference centre in the East End of London, and there were 10,000 people on the course. Wow. That in itself is gobsmacking. The organisation, I have to say, was second to none. And it wasn't long into the, into the first day that I thought there is something very special about what I'm hearing. And he, he used NLP in a very practical way. We weren't being NLP'd, but he was using it as an integral part of the language that he used. And he started talking about a program that he was going to run in California in about six to eight weeks after this particular one. And I really fancied the program, but I dismissed it out of hand because I didn't have a, a, a travel electric chair. And although I traveled the country working for the government and doing these different programs for um the London Institute and the, the National College of Leadership, I would always have the same taxi driver pick me up from home, take me, wait for me and bring me back. And so I just dismissed it. At the end of the first day, we did the fire walk. Now, for those who, are, who don't know what that is, and please don't try this at home, <laughs> you walk across hot coals about 30 feet, I would say, 25, 30 feet, in bare feet, and if you are in the right mindset, you don't get burnt. Now, at that time, in 2006, it's two years after I've had the spinal stimulator fitted, I could walk probably four or five steps unaided, and I could walk a little bit further if I had somebody supporting me both sides. But I wanted to do the fire walk. And I think you probably got the impression already that I'm My mother used to call me bloody minded, but I'm fairly de determined if I want to do something. And I was absolutely thrilled to manage the fire walk. It was the furthest I'd walked in, in well, since 1996. And so I did the fire walk and they helped me sit back in my chair. And the guy behind me was a double amputee, no legs below the knee. And he tipped himself up onto his hands and he walked those hot coals in his hands. Wow. And in that moment, I realized that I was self-limiting. That night, I went and booked my flight and I booked my ticket on the program. I flew off to California six or seven weeks later. I had a whale of a time. Since then, did all of his courses uh, became a, a senior uh, leader uh, for um, on other courses. And since I, then, I've traveled the world speaking, working, and on holiday. And I have no idea who that man was, but he changed my life. And because I told this story, I know from the feedback I've got that it's made other people really think about how they're self-limiting. Now, you wrote a book, Gina, uh, Thriving, Not Surviving. And in there you talk about five secret pathways to happiness, success, and fulfillment. Share some of those with us. So they are belief. If you believe you can't, it's a done deal. If you believe you might fail, then you're going to make very different decisions to if you believe that you will succeed. 
And our beliefs about ourselves colour the world. My belief that uh, my wheelchair is a thing of empowerment. That's the, uh, another book I've written, Chariots on Fire. But many people would see a wheelchair as a thing of lack. So our beliefs are so important because we view everything through the filter of our beliefs. It's as if we've got different glasses on. And if you shift the belief, then you shift the way the world is. So Roger Bannister ran the four-minute mile. He was told by the medics at the time if he ran that fast that he would die. Yet he still ran. And what's even more amazing is within 30 days, over 30 other people had run that fast. Why? Because their belief that it was impossible to do and live was changed. So that's the first pathway. The second pathway is that of relationships. And every relationship we have with other people is a reflection of the relationship we have with ourselves. So if somebody else says something unkind to you, then it's pretty bad. But if you're constantly second-guessing yourself and telling yourself you're useless, that you're not good enough, that you're not rich or enough, you're too young, too old, too fat, too tall, that becomes your reality. So being your own best friend and, and having a great relationship with yourself means that you are far less likely to be bullied or abused by other people and that you are more likely to treat other people well. The third pathway is that of success. You know, what for you means success? What motivates you? Do you self-sabotage? Because so many people, I think, are frightened of success. And when it gets close, they start to self-sabotage. The fourth pathway is that of choice, dealing with change. And change is one of the three constants in life. And if you don't um, get out of the caveman mentality, which is every change is a threat, then life is going to be very difficult. And the fourth is, uh, the fifth is purpose and fulfillment. Because when you've got all of the trappings of success, they're meaningless if you don't have a sense of purpose. And I found that whether people came to me for life coaching or couple coaching or business coaching, we, in some way, we looked at all of those five pathways. They didn't all come in the same order, but inevitably we would need to look at all of those. And that's amazing because those are internal personal focuses one of the things i hear a great deal gino when people are looking to add employees is i want them to have a skill in this product or that product or the other product and i have to look at them and say this is what you did right there wouldn't it be better if these people had integrity or they were willing to collaborate or had pride or determination or or grit and were willing to stick to it as opposed to you can teach them the skill I couldn't agree with you more, and certainly it's how I appointed staff. They obviously they had to have the basic qualification, um, but ultimately, I wanted people who were ready to learn, who'd leave their ego under their, uh, their pillow with their pajamas, that were good team members, that were generous in terms of sharing, but also generous in terms of learning, um, and I wanted people who were who were going to embody. Uh, the principles that I felt were so important, and they're the same principles that are that are um, developed through the leadership program. Because if you look at the research, most leadership programs that people go on within six months, they're using between seven and ten percent. That's all, because mm -hmm. it doesn't change the person. Expand more, uh, Gina, 
on your uh, on the Enlightened uh, Leadership Program, how it came to be, and where you're taking it, and the success that you're having. Well, the Enlightened Leadership Program, it, I've brought together, if you like, everything that I've learned, um, and I've noticed that when I've worked with businesses, and I always work with the senior decision makers, um, that it takes about nine months for the for them to really embody the principles. You know, they talk about a month to create a new neural pathway, and I think that's, that's so. I mean, the science shows that that's so. But the minute you are under stress, you go back to the old pathway, unless that new pathway has become really embedded. And so the program is, uh, is 10 months, um, there's a two-month pre-course uh, and a two-week two pre and two-week post, but nine months of formal program. It's fully supported with one-on-one uh, -on -one help with, from a leadership facilitator who have all been trained by me, um, group coaching with me, videos, PowerPoint presentations, core books, um, visiting speakers. And it's been designed to bring together all of the things that I've learned from working within my school, with working with hundreds of other people and organizations, um, and it's, it enables people to really develop confidence in themselves and to have the confidence that no matter what they meet, that they can lead within, and I was smiling when you were talking about the sort of person you want to employ, because this is about leading with integrity. You've got to model what you want from other people. You've got to walk your talk. You've got to be genuine, authentic about what you do. Um, you've also got to have compassion. And, you know, money is seen as the biggest motivator, but actually when they've done the research, it isn't. It's about number three or four. And that having a, a, a working for people who you know care about you, who take an interest in you, who see potential and nurture that is really important. And you also need courage because there are times when you have to do things that are difficult because that's the right thing to do. And so for me, enlightened leadership is, it's, if you like, it's the Iron Man or Woman um, program because out of it, you're going to change. And I know that it works because I've now used it with so many people. But in its current form, it was launched just before the, the lockdown. Uh, and so it's it's very new in, in the sense that it's in its current, current form. However, it's been accredited by uh, the Chartered, uh, the, the Continuous Professional Development Standards Office, and it counts for CE hours. Um, and this stuff is all tried and trusted, tried and tested. It really does work. What's going to be very interesting, as we're seeing here on, on, the, on the U.S. side, is as we start to come out of this crisis uh, with the people going back to work, there's a tendency, at least it, 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 senior leaders who are, who are my age or grew up when I did, they become more autocratic because they want to jumpstart and get things going quickly. Now, why is that a disaster? Well, I think... There's a number of problems with that, and one of the, the most common problems is that if you are an autocratic leader, you have to do the thinking for everybody, which means that the only thinking that you've got is yours, and you don't uh, harness the creativity, experience, expertise of everybody within your company. But also, it's exhausting, and you don't spend time working 
um, on your business because you're so busy answering questions and being the fount of all approval for everybody else. That you know, there's not the clarity of what's your vision and why is that so important? Because if you're autocratic, you don't need to explain the why. But if you want your workers and your customers, your client base, to understand where you're coming from, the why is incredibly important. And how you communicate that becomes absolutely critical. And I think what I'd say to people who are listening to this, we're never going to go back to the old norm. It's gone. We are in uncharted waters and the, the need to have a team of people who are thinking and who want to achieve the same as you do as the, as the, the, the senior leader, the boss, um, is going to make the difference between those companies that, that thrive and succeed. And remember, more millionaires are made during times of crisis and downturn than are ever made in boom. Why? Because those people look for the possibilities and the opportunities. And, you know, it's going to need a team. We're going to need the expertise, the enthusiasms, the, the whole range of personalities, so long as they are all very closely aligned with you and your vision and what you're trying to achieve then the likelihood is that you will succeed so much more consistently and so much more. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are just about out of time. We're going to start wrapping up here. Gina, thank you so much for your incredible story and for all the enlightenment that you have shared here. A thing that I've heard over and over again is great accomplishments come from great adversity, and you are a perfect shining example of that. So again, thank you so much for being here today. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what life throws at you, I want you to do three things. I want you to look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Better times and better people will enter your life. I want to thank Gina Gardner and her, the, her Enlightened Leadership Program for sponsoring this episode and for the tag team, which is a collaboration between my company and the, then the Abraham Group helping uh, aspiring entrepreneurs. If you'd like more information about Gina, please contact me. I'll make sure it gets to her. If you've missed any of this show or any of our other shows, you can listen to them on demand on any number of places, now including iHeartRadio, Alexa, and Google, which have recently picked up the show. And let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Gina showed us where many of those rocks are. Join us again next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.